and welcome to another ed episode edition of thing of the dice are screaming. Oh. Yeah, trying to talk. Hey, it's Friday, and you know where your dice at? No, I I don't know. They get up to all kinds of hijinks when I'm not looking, especially the foresighters, which yeah. have a penchant for stabbing me in the foot. Yeah, they're always sneaking out of the dice bag and waiting to stab you in the foot. Well, and it's a well-deserved revenge, because after all the things I've put them through over the years, I have it coming. Yeah. So. <laughs> and your die 12s are silently crying themselves to sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, die 12, the loneliest, loneliest dice. dice. <laughs> oh. When does that even come out, anyway? I, I don't think I've used a die 12 in, uh, what is it? Uh, it's longsword damage, I think. Oh, oh, uh, longsword damage, old school, versus large creatures. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> I think doppelgangers do die 12. Mm. For whatever reason. There may be a few monsters. It, I almost think that uh, they may have done that just to salvage the tattered reputation of the die 12 so it didn't wind up hanging itself from shame. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's Friday edition. We're going to have some fun. And, of course, we hope you all stick around with us. As we get ready for topic, we have some call-ins. Call-in, call-in, call-in. And, of course, as we get call-ins, it's not from Colin of Spike Pit. It's from somebody we haven't heard of from a while. It's Chuck Thorin, or C. Thorin, as he likes to go by, from Playing It Wrong. C. Thorin Run. C. Thorin Play. Hey, howdy, Thorin. Good to see uh, you're listening to... Some of the episodes that slipped by while you were busy, uh, typical of podcasters one and all, is the listening takes place in little, you know, like uh, fits and uh, bursts, uh, I understand entirely. I'm much the same. Uh, life gets busy, don't have much time. Then you get a little leisure time, you kick back and you play catch up, which uh, I recently did uh, on uh, Colin, Colin Green of oh, Spike yeah. Pit. Uh, which, interesting episodes, Colin. I enjoyed the... Uh, I, I was a little out of the loop because I was not familiar with the game, but I still had a good time listening. Uh, anyhow, Mr. Yep. Thorin. Yep, let's get to Chuck Thorin. He's got some stuff to say. We'll be back after the break. Take it away, Chuck. Hello, gentlemen. It's Chuck with Playing It Wrong. Yeah, it's been a while since I called in, and I'm catching up on episodes. Going back to your Paladins episode, that reminded me of a character concept that I still have to do, and that is my half-orc bard whose manner of inspiration is that of a drill sergeant. I just see it now. Now we call that an attack. My grandma can hit harder than that. You know the drill. Anyway, hey, keep up the good work, keep up the episodes, and uh, hey, keep the kimono closed. <laughs> just kidding. Have Loving the episodes. All right, and that was Chuck Thorin. Yeah, we'll work on that, keeping the uh, kimono closed. Uh, <laughs> I really got to put a zipper on that thing. Or a zip tie on <laughs> the drawstrings. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> thing just flies open. <laughs> Falls open with alarming regularity. Uh, no, I love the core concept of a, a half-orc bard based on a drill sergeant. I would totally go a full metal jacket direction with that, complete with movie quotes. <laughs> well, you know. What is your major malfunction, numb nuts? Arlie Emery would be proud. <laughs> Did your mother have any children that lived? 
Uh, <laughs> Half-orc bard whose inspiration is belting out drill sergeant. Yeah, okay. well, you know, it's one way to make it work. <laughs> Low charisma or not, the louder you shout, the more people listen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a worthy idea. I like that. Uh, now, as we transition away from the uh, Paladin episode into today's topic, it, it is actually a little bit similar. Uh, oh, superheroes, right? You mean uh, like how superheroes can elicit challenges oh. and intimidate people from... Oh, yeah. I mean, if you... If you Mercy! You can't imagine a better superhero. Uh than this. Uh, of oh. course, it may not be in the superhero game sense, but... So, uh, <laughs> what you're telling me is we're not doing superheroes again. Well, uh, they're, you like Spider-Man, right? You like wall climbing? Yeah. Yeah, alright, we got some of that. How about, how about some Iron Man action? Uh, not so much suit of iron. That's more of the fighter's turf. Uh, alright, uh, trans transforming, transforming into a giant, angry green giant. Now you're talking Tensor's Transformation, and that's your mage. Uh, but, uh, no, for this, we're talking rogues. Rogues? Oh, you mean thieves. Yeah. Or well. rogues, thieves, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. All yeah, right, the, well. The, the nomenclature has changed. Uh, uh, once again, superhero role-playing games will have to be shelved. All right, so we're talking about rogues and thieves and whatnot and all that skullduggery and backstabbing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Basically, part and parcel of old-school D&D. Uh, now, admittedly, it was not present in the very earliest incarnations. Uh, you know, it was much more uh, fighters and mages. Fighter mages and clerics. Fighting men, magic users, and clerics. But, at the tail end, Charlie, uh, the last one to join the ranks of the classic character classes, was the thief. And, hey... What better to give an entire episode to? I mean, honestly, one is almost not enough. It, you know, there is so much meat on the bone when it comes to rogues. Uh, they take all shapes and sizes, all forms, uh, from lowly foot pad and cut purse down to professional dungeoneer survivalist. Uh, yep, or con artist, swindler. True. Even smugglers and near-to-do-wells. Uh, and in the more heroic mold, uh, you know, rebels uh, in the tradition of Robin Hood, uh, yeah. you know, they're on, they're not on the sunny side of the law and sneakery is their stock and trade, but they are good guys. So uh, literally the rogue, the rogue slash thief is all over the map. Yeah. And we're just going to go with the nomenclature of rogue from now on because yeah, they start out as thieves and then, you know, we decided that. They, you know, they got a day job, and they straighten their act out. It was a bum rap, man. <laughs> you know, I'm just a part-time electrician. You got nothing on me, copper. <laughs> Would you let a guy who calls himself a thief divvy up the treasure and go diving into chests first? Oh, yeah, you guys got uh, 300 silver, and, jeez, uh, oh, man, I don't, you know, not a lot of gems in this uh, dungeon, is there? Huh? Yeah, it's been like uh, three dungeons since we found a gem. Got any comments to make about that, uh, thief? Well, you know, the, one of the perennial uh, highlights of the character class is, I believe it was in the basic uh, Dungeons & Dragons Red uh, book, not the second one, but the one from Tom Moldvay, where they were turning a guy upside down and shaking him at all the coins and gems and uh, goodies <laughs> were coming out of his pockets and uh, satchels. 
Yeah, that's pretty much what a lot of people thought of Thieves. And, uh, well, can you blame it? Because the class was named Thieves. But, you know, <laughs> you know, a rose by any other name would still be, yeah, okay, a rogue. So, <clears throat> the rogue the slash thief brung in the initial parts, as Mike said, a lot of different uh, approaches to the game. Where initially, like, checking for traps or disarming them was kind of... Like, I look at the floor. Is it uneven? I take out a plumb bob and string, and, you know, some chalk <laughs> dust, and I, I see if the floor is level, and I look for any stones that are misplaced. Yeah, that's how you used to search for traps, Sands Row, where they just basically said, okay, uh, you got a thief in the party, right? Yeah, we'll have him roll to see if he can find and remove any traps as you search the room. Yeah, and it was a nice leap forward. It, it created a distinct character class with a really solid purpose uh, for an outbound adventuring party. Uh, if they were headed into the dungeon, yeah, few allies are more useful than the rogue. Even if you had to shake him down after the adventure to find out where some of that missing coins went. And I'm guilty of the same myself. Uh, I have, you know, played pretty much all of the differing character classes that are available. Uh, in yesteryear, not so much the uh, the latter versions where it gets into a lot of minute breakdowns, specialty things, epic. Uh, what do they call that when um, those it, special character classes that you can work your way into with the right feats and oh prestige classes. Uh, prestige classes. I I haven't done so many of those because there's literally tons of them and. Uh, you know, we tend to run longer campaigns up in this neck of the woods. So I haven't had a huge variety of characters. But old school, I played them all and known them all and enjoyed them all. And the Rogue was one of the most fun of the bunch. Because if you want to be a, a player who is useful to your party, this is the route to go. I mean, let's talk skills for a minute. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of the skills that were common to adventurers, like searching for traps and secret doors was, you know, yeah, elves had a little higher chance of it, and dwarves, you know, they could kind of check out the stonework, oh, this is inferior quality stone built by a goblin, you know. <laughs> and, you know, you'd have that, but primarily it was kind of a, a peck and uh, scratch type of game with where you would look for any clues the dungeon master would leave for you, like literally uh, bouncing off the flavor text at some point. And while there was it, a small brass nozzle sticking out of the, you know, corner uh, on the left wall, and you're uncertain of its purpose. Yeah, that's your trap warning right there. You know, yep. that, now, having the legitimate skills, search for traps, you invoke that, and it's down to a dice roll, uh, which changes everything. Uh, of course, as a DM, I really count on people to invoke it. I mean, you know, say that you're doing it. Because I'm not giving it away right. for free. Yeah, one of the, the adjudications, misadjudications, I should say, forgive me, um, <clears throat> is that a lot of people initially assumed that it was automatic, and it's just not that way. You had to basically, you know, put yourself in danger and say, I'm searching for traps, I'm looking for anything, you know, from a poison needle in the lock, <laughs> all the way to, you know, uh, collapsing... Uh, Stones from above and all that stuff. And there were many ways to, you know, kind of <clears throat> mess with your players. Oh, that, so. oh, Barry, the rogue really takes it on the chin. It does take a, it does take a certain flair 
and a, a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of grit to play a rogue because you're gonna get hurt. You know, have the poison antidotes on standby. Uh, have a healer somewhere waiting in the wings because some of what the rogue has to go through is extremely dangerous, and I can testify to that because in in the protection in in the cause of protecting my party from egregious harm. Uh, I had one character poisoned three or four times, electrocuted twice, <laughs> paralyzed. It just <laughs> All in the same encounter, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe not that bad, but that, oh. there were a couple of really rough dungeons. that, And I was happy to do it. I felt very useful. I was, I, I was starting to wonder, it's like, hey, uh, just out of curiosity, can my... I've been exposed to so many toxins. Can I get a saving throw bonus? <laughs> I should have built up immunity right now. Yeah, your saving throw bonus is, is that your liver fails, and now you're <laughs> going to die in a couple months. Um, yeah. So, the real thing about the rogue was is they, they brung a core set of skills. Now, of course, they were mostly in pursuit of larceny, like climbing walls, basically you're breaking and entering type stuff, uh, you know, and uh, moving silently and skulking about in shadows. Yeah, that was part of the rogue's uh, skill set as well. But, yeah, other characters could climb walls, but the rogues continually went up. Now, yeah, later, they got better and better at it. That just it, it endlessly improved. Uh, you even got the ability to read strange languages and use scrolls after a while. Which I was, was just thinking of that one. Yeah. yeah, that is a great niche talent, or niche talent that uh, a lot of people forgot uh, the ability to make use of scrolls, uh, the ability to read a variety of languages, uh, and to basically use them in innovative ways like decoding maps that are in an unfamiliar tongue. Mm -hmm. Just on the basis of, yeah, like, I, <laughs> I go through a lot of treasure maps, trust me on this. Yeah, from reading <laughs> spidery thieves' cants to smugglers' notes and shorthands from all sorts of criminal organizations, you know, the rogues brung their skill set to the party that they were with. Now, of course, with that was also the pickpocket skill, and no more skill has started more <laughs> inter-party fights than that. Oh. Hey, I'm just playing my character, man. I got pickpockets for a reason, you know? Yeah, it's not personal, dude. It's what he does. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> what he does is die. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that the rogue had was a special attack, the backstab, now hidden from shadows or striking from behind in combat through advantageous positioning. The thief slash rogue has always been a danger. Yeah, this is where the rogue got their chance to shine in combat, and they only really got the one. Uh, traditionally, in the early editions, it's the fighter who doles out the serious harm, and the mage who really came on as the DPS later in levels. Mm -hmm. Now, the humble rogue with all of their vast array of skills, may be useful in a lot of situations, but combat, they were pretty limited. Uh, and that was the cost to be paid, a reasonable cost, I think, for having this treasure trove of abilities. But the loophole was the backstab. Yeah, backstab's where you got to take out a baddie. Especially a soft and squishy mage hanging behind his uh, hench peeps as they send them forward. To uh, annihilate the party, Rogue sneaks up and, well, one backstab and one dead mage later, he's looting the corpse before everybody can notice. Yeah. He's taking some <laughs> choice items. <laughs> uh, ooh, shiny rings. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, mages are just chock full of goodies. 
<laughs> they're like pinatas. <laughs> yeah, you hit them and all of a sudden the candy falls out. Yeah. You know, just, oh, hey, magical protection device. Oh, hey, magical razors. <laughs> Good stuff. But uh, Backstab was a little tougher to adjudicate in the early editions. Uh, it was very much a process of building up where the character was tested on their ability to get into position. Uh, if they had not achieved surprise and were in fact trying to make themselves indistinct in the middle of a melee, that was a little tougher. Now, in later editions, I think they've done a great job in... Oh, yeah. Uh, kind of, they, they've let slip the rogues of war. Uh, yeah, before you could only attack, you could only get your backstab from behind. Now, if they were completely unawares, yeah, it was no problem. But uh, in combat, it can be a little trickier, especially if you're not using miniatures and using the theater of the mind. But more on that, perhaps in another episode. But what we're going to focus on is that, yeah, the uh, later editions started pushing flanking and all sorts of things like that. And sometimes it can get a little fiddly, but... For the most part, I improved their chances of being a participant almost invariably outside of just uh, skulking in the shadows and preparing from just being able to move and perform in the combat to get behind an opponent or getting a flanking advantage and stab them where they're least expected. And that's been the hallmark. But another thing I'd like to touch on with the Rogue is they brung with them a whole new setting. Just one class. And it's the hallmark of the Rogue. It's the Thieves' Guild. Ah, uh, now one class. Now you say like the druid kind of has the druidic, all right, uh, hierarchy that they belong to. There can only be so many druids. It's true, but uh, you know the guild is somewhat different than that. Uh, rather than a religious organization, uh, it tends to be an underworld criminal enterprise with a surprising number of rules. Which you know, for a character class that seems like there are no rules. Uh, Maybe a wake-up call for people if you're running a campaign that has a Thieves' Guild presence. Uh, and I certainly hope that you would. Yeah, and that was kind of the expectation, is that the Rogue or the Thief, early in the first edition. If you look at the first edition uh, player's handbook, you know, you see that uh, Rogue just wearing a pair of pants. And, I don't know, maybe like it was laundry day and he's holding a knife up to some hapless merchant while gloating over taking his purse from him. You know, you got to the Rogue was kind of an unpleasant fellow. And so, you know, it was on the mean streets of Greyhawk. <laughs> yeah, that's where I came from. You know, you had to take what you could get. Nobody gave you nothing. <clears throat> there are a thousand tales in the Magic City. This is one of them. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you brought the Thieves' Guild in with the inclusion of the Thieves. Thief class. Now, you could say, well, hey, you know, the Thieves' Guild would exist without Thieves, and basically anybody can steal stuff. But the Thief was really set up to do that, and... Sort of his skills at finding traps and, you know, being able to climb out of pits and do all sorts of crazy stuff in combat was the price of having this guy occasionally filch a few gems or, you know, a ring or two off the uh, freshly cooled, uh, bleeding to death and cooling corpse of the mage he just backstabbed. Yeah, uh, the use of thieves' guilds, uh, I, I would like to make a side note here. Yeah, well, we'll go back to that. Uh, the... Use of a guild is a terrific modifier on thieves' behavior because inside a particular city, uh, guilds are more of a... How do I put this? Uh, they are a reflection of 
the historic gang activity that, you know, there's turf and this area is ours. And there, if you have a very large city, there may be multiple guilds uh, periodically getting along as long as they maintain their own territory and stay out of each other's hair. But the slightest shift in power, a little alteration of the balance of power, and all of a sudden uh, the situation dissolves into combat in the streets. Uh, this is a nice dynamic to drag your players into if you're dealing with a city-based campaign or a campaign that at least has a major city where players regularly hang out. Uh, and guilds are a way to curb the conduct of your rogue, which there are certain things you cannot do. You're like, yeah, this is not a district you steal from. Uh, you know, they've paid us to ensure that they mm. don't get pestered. So if you actually offend them, then your own guild cracks down on you. Uh, these kinds of rackets and things like that, a devious DM uh, can make great use of. Uh, yeah, it, you know, even in just a dungeon adventure, being able to have contacts and thieves guild defense items, move valuables, and hey, even pawn stuff. You know, let's not forget that pawn is more than just a reality show. The pawn is an ancient, uh, well, I don't know if I would put ancient, but it's a long historical profession where people, you know, that's where you basically got loans outside of, before there were real banks, and you could put your things in hock and get a little money and then buy it back. Oh, yeah. There was an entire adventure I ran uh, about two or three years ago involving <clears throat> unlawfully acquired gold bullion uh, <laughs> that needed to be moved by illegitimate means. It, it had to be taken out of the country uh, to be cashed out. Oh. <laughs> and the players were happy to do it. Uh, they, yeah. they got their paws on that, and they were completely willing. But they also had to deal with a thieves' guild in a major city. And they didn't get as much money out of it as they wanted, but they certainly made a profit. Uh, <laughs> because... They sent two representatives into the Thieves' Guild instead of going in in force, and when they tried to play hardball on the negotiations, my answer to them as the DM speaking as the head of the Thieves' Guild was, you know, I'm so very glad you're here. And I'm happy to be engaged in these negotiations with you. And while we're on the subject of negotiations, remember that there's two of you, and that I am in my headquarters surrounded by my most trusted and skilled associates. My offer stands. <laughs> well, yeah, you can only, you know, muscle the head of the Thieves' Guild so much. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, we would be negligent in our duties if we didn't mention the dark cousin of the thief, the assassin. Ah, yes. Boy, the there's a trouble character class. Yeah, and... There's a little interesting story is that uh, as the assassin evolved out of the thief, uh, the first edition assassin found itself erased uh, from <clears throat> dungeon history uh, during the full release of the second edition. Oh, the dark years. Yeah, and that, that was owed to the anti-D&D hysteria of the time and the public relations efforts and the, the attempt to build a more people-friendly game. And also the way that people tended to play an assassin, which was, you know, rather than being a cold, calculating killer or spy, they tended to bully other people or threaten them with, you know what, you got to sleep sometime. 
<laughs> and I do more backstep damage than a thief. Yeah, that percentage chance for automatic death. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that did lead to some infighting, so it was not a character class well suited for team play. But, yeah, I mean, it's not that it couldn't have been no, played the, better. you know, the kit for the assassin was well done, and the prestige class later. Now, of course, uh, that for the assassin, who, as we mentioned before, is kind of problematic with sometimes just, you know, I want to play an assassin from first level. Well, you got to build up to it and get an accepted into a guild. But that's another thing, is that the assassins also had the assassin's guild. And so if we're talking about guilds, you know, one of the things was is that there was kind of an overlap sometimes between thieves' guilds and assassins' guilds. It kind of sometimes worked in conjunction, and other times they were at odds with one another. You know, assassins didn't steal, they killed. True. Uh, you know, theft was the purview of the Thieves' Guild. Uh, murder, uh, it was the purview of the Assassins. Now, uh, in a hand-designed campaign, I borrowed Assassin concepts. I didn't so much have Assassins' guilds so much as I made them each a cult. Uh, yep. And, you know, one was a kind of religious order that... Uh, you know, believed that their actions were uh, something that could curry the favor of a god of death. And, you know, they they were happy to sell their services in, a, in exchange for an appropriate offering to their god. So somebody could hire a murder to be done by anonymously, you know, including a name with a large donation of cash. Uh, so, naturally, this assassin's cult was quite wealthy. Uh, the other one I based on a historical example, which was uh, the old man of the mountain, Alamot, mm. uh, the uh, original Hashashin, which is, you know, the, the stories of the process of hypnosis with, uh, you know, eaters of hashish being... Uh, in a drugged stupor, believing they're in paradise, and then having all of their you know luxuries deprived of them, and waking up uh, in a garbage pile wearing rags, uh, and thinking that they have displeased the gods. And, oh, that sounds like some of my lost weekends. You know? Yeah, I know. It's just waking up in a trash heap with you know somebody's phone number. It's Grand Rapids in 1992 uh, for me. Stenciled on you with lipstick. You know. Oh, <laughs> where did this come from? Anyway. But yeah, I, I modeled the, you know, assassin cult uh, after those traditional, you know, that historical example. And the core concept was to limit what the assassin was permitted to do. They don't just go around killing people because they're an assassin. Uh, they're kind of like a trained artist. They, they have a very specific purpose, and they're a weapon that somebody else is pointing at the world. And they don't get to choose for themselves, oh, I just kill willy-nilly. No. Right. And, you know, there's many games that have done that, like Pathfinder has the Crimson Manus Assassins and... Or Red Manus, sorry. See, I got superheroes in the brain, it's always Crimson now. Don't be red when you can be Crimson. And don't be Crimson when you can be Vermillion. Oh, you beat me Vermillion. Well, Scarlet's a nice old... Yeah. Dan so, like, you know... Uh, when you get back to the rogue, you know, you can be a multitude of things with a rogue, you know, as we talked about. You didn't just have to be the skulking backstabber in an alley waiting to slit somebody's throat and take their purse. No, you could be 
a swashbuckling type rogue, you know? Oh, even better, uh, which I oh. find a more fun all-around rogue. Yeah, or just, you know, an adventuring rogue, you know, just a near-do-well who just has a wide variety of skills and avoids danger and, you know, has always kind of just lived on his own rules. Many types of rogues can be fun to play, and, you know, as we talked about the guild, I think that we would be negligent if we didn't talk about what the thief had brung initially was setting up a guild organization. That's your kind of end game where you sat. Is like as you you know got higher in level, you got more influence in your guild and prestige, and you eventually became a guild master or started a new guild in another city. You know, ah, uh, la mafia. You know, yeah. When the old guild master is ready to retire, or when you're ready to retire him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> this is guild business. It's strictly business. Nothing. That's personal. right. Uh. This is internal guild affairs. None of your business. I think the game has always been richer with the addition of the thief rogue class because, to be honest, it's a lot of fun. And whether you're playing in the dungeon or wilderness or a civilized setting, the rogue brings a lot to the table. Now, of course, there's some chicanery and shenanigans that go along with having a rogue in the party, but that's part of the charm of keeping the uh, party interesting. Oh, yeah, and in the more recent editions, <clears throat> the adjustment of the way in which skills are required over yeah. the last few years has made the rogue a powerhouse with multiple purposes, again. Uh, it was always so, but in the earliest editions, it really depended on the flair and wit of the character. Uh, uh, not her, not the flair and wit of the character, but the flair and wit of the player. player yeah. uh, now, I admit... Not everybody is a scheming genius who is ready to take over the world as a rogue. But the expansion of skill lists has made it possible for easy adjudication and for rogues to pile up the skill sets in social circumstances. So they're not just dungeoneers anymore. And I, I do not disapprove, uh, yeah. you know, as the additions have changed... They have not diminished the rogue, but rather enhanced it nicely. So, oh yeah, and hats off. You know, I love to have a good group of rogues in Thieves' World. And on a literary note, I want to just sidestep here. When we're talking about the assassin, one of my big arguments was is a book by Stephen Brust called Yurig or the uh, Vlad Taltos series, whereas he is an assassin, also a little bit of a sorcerer or magician, if you will. Hmm. But uh, he has kind of a, a little dragon pet that uh, resembles a lot of the pseudo-dragon without the sting. It has telepathic powers and can read minds and is very, very keenly sensed. Um, if that assassin class was more like Vlad Taltos, I think it would have survived the Purge of the second edition. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, it was without other literary antecedents, too. I mean, Oh, no. Loves. I was just saying that there was one that was based solely in fantasy... It was very uh, strong art type where, yeah, he was an assassin, but he was an assassin in the type of, like, I just murder anybody who displeases me this day. There were rules to obey and also penalties to be paid if you did end up killing somebody. And just being an assassin yourself, if you killed someone, well, they could go to the guild for recompensation and then you would have to answer to the guildmaster. Which, really, you know, uh, this is not an organization that you need to be disciplined twice oh, yeah, in. You know, a black mark on your record, like, eh, we're watching you. Uh, two black marks on your record, and we don't have to watch you anymore, because nobody else can find you either. So. But to everybody who's, you know, picked a pocket, or sprung a trap, you lift 
a mug in your honor. You know, the Thief has been a worthy addition to D&D, and I think it would be a lesser game without him. So, oh. there are some detractors who dislike the inclusion of it, saying that the inclusion of skills kind of ruined the everyman feel of the game. But I think that's a bearable penalty to take on because, really, the Rogue and Thief have brought so much joy in gaming tables oh, across yeah, I, the experience look. of D&D. I'm a big champion of people, you know, like, play from your freaking heart. Uh, I, I love to see players take the initiative. And anything that encourages that, I'm in favor of. So the, the earliest editions, uh, they did demand of the player that they show up and bring your A game. You don't just let, you know, the guy who plays the fighter uh, play the rogue for the week. Because, you know, he couldn't. I mean, it's a different mindset. You had to have a player that was well-suited for it. Handful now, of hit points and a dagger. And, well. Am I opposed to those changes? And why? Uh, I'm obviously not opposed to them. And the reason is that today you can also take uh, four basic character classes on four sheets with four players. And everybody sits down and you could pass those sheets to the person to your right. Oh, boy. And everybody could play just as capably, uh, within reason. You know, the, the, the basic understanding of what they're capable of doing and what's expected of them is much easier for everybody else to grasp. So, uh, when it comes to it being a little bit of a trade-off, yeah, okay, it's not as rigid as it used to be. Uh, it doesn't demand as much of the player as it might once have. But it does open the door for a lot of people to have a different experience from time to time. And, and your, your creativity's always been there, but... Uh, yeah. But um, hats off to the road, and hats off to anybody who has pulled off a times four backstab in the middle of combat. Against you know? a T-Rex. Oh, yeah. yeah even better. Uh, but, all one right. of my best days ever. Yeah. But um, we're running low on time, and we appreciate you sticking around listening to us ramble on about the good old days with... Shame on you. You've wasted yeah. another perfectly usable half hour listening to two half-wits. Yep. And so, <laughs> fie on you, but hey, you know, time well spent with you guys is always good for us as well. We hope you enjoyed, and as always, keep those call-ins and likes coming in, and also your criticisms. We've been taking a few of those, and so, with that... Yeah, we took some notes, and, uh, you know, I think one of the best points somebody made was that we are chock-full of inside jokes. We're probably not going to curtail that completely, because so much of gaming is a culture of shared experiences, but we will try to at least provide a context for a few more things, uh, instead of just leaving people out in the wind. It was a So we're not doing thing. context anymore, is that it? No, no, we're totally doing context. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, thank you all for your input, uh, now and always. All right, so as we're winding down, hope you have a good weekend. Keep those dice rolling, and remember, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. See ya.